it is not a surprise to any of you to know that it is one thing to begin something, and it's a whole different thing to finish it. It's one thing to go to the college of your choice, and it's a whole different thing to graduate from that college. It's one thing to make a resolution, and it's a whole different ball game to keep that resolution. I mean, it is one whole thing to begin a relationship, and it's a whole different set of discipline and commitment to nourish and sustain and keep and maintain that relationship. It's always easy to begin, but it is much harder to finish. It's much easier to start well. It's a lot harder to finish well. It doesn't take a great deal of discipline to be enthusiastic about the commencement of something. But it takes a real commitment to see it through. And as we come to the end of the book of Acts, we really come to a a very intriguing ending for the book. It's not the kind of ending that you would expect after all this time that we've been looking through it. Throughout the book of Acts, in fact, for most of it, the book of Acts has been concerned with the Apostle Paul, his conversion, his ministry, his successes, his persecution, his imprisonment. And you would think that as you come to the end of the book, you would expect that it's going to end by telling you what happened to the Apostle Paul, how his life ended. But all of a sudden, the book ends in chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. Here's how the book ends. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him, boldly and without hindrances. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the book ends. Why would the book end this way? Why does the book end without telling us what happened to Peter? What happened to Paul? What happened to Philip? What happened to all these great preachers who were larger than life? None of that is here at the ending. Why do you think the book ends that way? I've given it a lot of thought. And I came with the conviction that it ends this way because Dr. Luke inspired by the Holy Spirit, is more concerned with the gospel than the preachers of the gospel. That Dr. Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was more concerned with the power of the gospel to convert people to Christ than with the instruments that God uses to bring these people into conversion. I want you to hear me right, please. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. There are many Christians, and I am included, who get so frustrated with our unsaved friends. And we often think, if I can have the key that unlocks their blindness, their spiritual blindness, if I only have just a formula that will really make them see what I can see, if I only have the right words, or the right knowledge, or the right experience, We could bring them to Christ. But I want to tell you this day 
that if the book of Acts has taught us anything, it taught us this. That only God can do that. It teaches us that all that God requires of us is faithfulness. It teaches us that all that God has required of us is willingness to serve, is willingness to speak, is willingness to be available, is willingness to obey. And God will do the rest. Today I want to show you, here from Acts 28, several principles, three in number, that will unlock the secret for finishing well. And I want to tell you, it has been my personal prayer From that day, back in February of 1975, when I was ordained to the gospel ministry, from ever that day when these bishops stood in that cathedral in Sydney and said, will you, will you, will you? And I said, yes, I will. I don't think there was a time that I have not prayed that I would finish well. You see, it's a lot easier to start and start well. It is much harder to finish well. And I think the book of Acts teaches us, particularly here in chapter 28, some principles that if we truly take them to heart, not just intellectually believe them, but literally make them the cornerstone of our lives, our Christian lives, they will help us unlock the secret for finishing well. Number one, you must understand, comprehend, practice, and believe that obstacles will not hinder the plan of God. Secondly, that objections will not halt the work of God. And thirdly, that obedience will harvest the blessing of God. To finish well, you must understand. You must comprehend. You must practice in your life. Every single moment of every single day, you must understand that obstacles will not hinder the plan of God for your life. One of the biggie reasons, I know biggie is a slang word, and forgive me for that. (laughs) But one of the biggie reasons why some Christians do not finish well is discouragement. The moment they hit the wall, they give up. The moment they face obstacles or problems or difficulties, they give up. Because from the human perspective... The Apostle Paul's life was filled with obstacles. It was filled with difficulties. Some of them were humongous. Some of them were horrendous obstacles. Each obstacle that the Apostle Paul faced in his life was designed by Satan to stop and kill his ministry, to put an end to his ministry. Every one of these obstacles were planned by the enemy of his soul and your soul to destroy the work of God. Each obstacle was intended to hinder the plan of God for being fulfilled in the life of the Apostle Paul, in the life of the preaching of the gospel in those early days. Persecution was a hindrance, and sure, he had his fair share of those. Imprisonment were obstacles, and he had seen his fair share of inside cells in prisons from Philippi to Caesarea. Being beaten and stoned and falsely accused were all hindrances, and Paul had his fair share of that. 
Then there was the hindrance of his own fellow Jews that in one time he was so overwhelmed for love for them. He said, if I end up in hell for eternity, if that helps my fellow Jews to be converted to Christ, he said, I'm willing to pay that price. Then there was the hindrance of the indifference on the part of the Romans. But through it all, the Apostle Paul understood practiced and believed that those obstacles cannot, cannot, cannot bound the will of God. He understood and he practiced and he believed that these obstacles cannot hinder the plan of God for his gospel and for God's servant. They may bound him in chains, but they cannot bind the power of the will of God. They might try to gag him from speaking, but it cannot gag the power of the Word of God and the plan of God. And that's why he was able to keep going in the toughest of the tough times that he was facing. How many of you know that there are really two sides to every obstacle that you face in life? There's a human side, your side, my side, and then there's God's side. You see, from the human side, obstacles appear as huge. <laughs> from God's side, they're dwarfs. You see, from your side, obstacles appear as huge, big boulders. <laughs> but from God's end, these are only stepping stones to get you to the top of the mountain. You see, you got to understand that. From human side, from your side, obstacles are frustrating. But in God's hand, from God's side, they are mere instruments that He uses to sanctify you and bless you. From the human side, obstacles appear to be dead in streets. But from God's end, they're only detours to get you to your destination. If you have read my book, If God is in Control, Why is My Life Such a Mess? You would have read about the obstacles and the hindrances in my life. How each one of them were designed by the enemy to literally destroy my ministry before it began. But God, in His mercy, used these same obstacles as stepping stones to fulfill His purpose, to fulfill His plan. I want to speak with confidence to every one of you who are facing insurmountable obstacle in your life today. I want to speak with confidence. Not only confidence in the Word of God, but confidence in the God Himself who promised in His words. All of you who are facing difficulties, I want you to listen to me. Because I'm going to tell you, stop seeing these obstacles from your point of view. And begin to see them from God's point of view. Stop dwelling on how huge and how big your obstacles are and begin to see how small these obstacles are and see how God can use these very obstacles to bless you and to use them to get you to fulfill His plan in your life. Stop playing that tape recorder that is going in your mind all day long. Stop rehearsing these problems and begin today of seeing God's hand working in your life. You see, the first secret 
to finishing well that we see here in the life of the Apostle Paul is that he saw with confidence that obstacles will not hinder the plan of God. But secondly, he saw that objections will not halt the work of God. One of the greatest temptations to the 21st century Christians is to see people all around you becoming more openly and more vocally objecting to the truth of the gospel. More openly and more vocally objecting to the true Christian faith. And the greatest temptation when you see all of that is not to be intimidated. The greatest temptation is not to be silent or both. One of the great temptations for the Christians in the 21st century is not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When people all around you are saying that all religions are equally good, when people all around you saying to believe that Jesus is the only way is tantamount to bigotry, is tantamount to hatred, is tantamount to intolerance. When people all around you saying that the Bible is open to all sorts of interpretation, when people all around you are saying to love people is not to get in their face about their moral lifestyle, when people all around you are saying that God does not care so much about morality and sexuality as much as He cares about you accepting and respecting people's sexual preferences. When people all around you and you are bombarded by such objections to the core of the Christian faith, the temptation is to stand firm and refuse to go along to get along. I read some depressing statistics this week. And these were the latest scientific research by a very respectable institution. And it says this. 32% of all born-again Christians in America do not believe in moral absolutes. 15% of the non-Christians believe that there are moral absolutes. We're not doing much better. And throughout the book of Acts, you see Paul was facing these objections. There were objections from the Jews. There were objections from the Gentiles. There were objections from everybody. And yet the reason why he finished well is because he understood that objections will not halt the work of God. Every time Paul opens his mouth, there's already a division. People immediately fall into two camps. Those who respond, normally very small, and the majority of people not only reject the message, but they want to shoot the messenger. And in Acts 28, when the ship is wrecked on the island of Malta, Paul suffered misunderstandings, false accusations, False assumptions. As soon as the snake bit him, they said, aha. You see how God has put his knowledge 
even in the minds and the hearts of the pagan, that they understood there is justice. They said, this man escaped from the shipwreck, but he must be a criminal. He must be a bad guy. And that is why now he can't escape the bite of the snake. False perception. But you know what? His hand did not get swollen at all. And he didn't get sick. They immediately change their minds about him and they want to worship him as a god. <laughs> when he goes and heals the father of the governor of the island, they want to worship him as a god. <laughs> Listen to me, please. I think you know this, but let me tell it to you again. People are fickle. <laughs> One day you're high up in the poles, the next day you plummet. People are emotional roller coasters. And that's why you cannot put your trust in people. You love people, but you put your whole trust in God. Because one day they love you, and the next day they hate you. People would be ready one day to canonize you if you say what they like you to say, and you do what they want you to do, and then they are ready to crucify you and stone you to death if you stand for something they don't like. But Paul understood that objections will not halt the work of God. When Paul got to Rome, and the first thing he did, he shared with his fellow Jews the truth about Jesus. He is the hope of all prophecies from Genesis to Malachi. As he began to expound, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the hopes and the dreams of his people for 2,000 years. The Bible said they objected. But Paul knew that objections on objectors cannot halt the work of God. Probably one of the hardest things for me as a pastor who deeply loves and cares for the souls of people, one of the hardest things for me is to see someone or hear someone say, I can't stand any longer against the current of my environment. And therefore, I'm going to give in. One of the hardest things. The truth is, none of us can stand in our own strength. None of us can stand. Without the power of God, none of us can stand. Without the strength of God, none of us can persevere. Without the power of the Holy Spirit who is indwelling in us, none of us can persist. So to finish strong, you must understand, comprehend, and believe, and practice that obstacles will not hinder the plan of God. You must understand, practice, and believe that objections will not halt the work of God. Thirdly, in order to finish strong, you must understand, practice, and believe that obedience will harvest God's blessings and the blessing of God. There's one thing about the book of Acts, particularly chapter 28, that I don't want you to miss. The gospel that the apostle Paul preached, as we were told in these last two verses of the book, verses 30 and 31, the gospel that Paul preached in Acts 28, and the gospel that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, is exactly the same gospel. 
It was not a different gospel because it was preached to different people by different person in a different environment and a different setting. No. The commonality that Paul and Peter and Philip and James and all of the great men of God that we read about in the book of Acts, the one thing that they had in common is their obedience to preaching the truth of the gospel without compromising it and without watering it down. It is the same gospel that was preached by Paul in 28. Peter preached in the day of Pentecost in chapter 2. Today, I hear people say, I heard this from evangelical pastors that literally breaks your heart. I hear them say, if you can make the gospel attractive to the culture, if you make the gospel palatable to society, if you modify the gospel just a little bit to fit our day, if you translate the Bible in such a way that it can fit with the feminist agenda, then people are going to respond. You know what I want to say? I don't want you to know what I want to say. (laughs) But I'll say this. They may respond, but they are responding to a false gospel. Yes, they may flock to it, but they are flocking to entertainment. Yes, they may respond to it, but they are responding to what appeals to the flesh. Obedience might not be easy, but it's the only way to peace. Obedience might not be comfortable, but there you find your only comfort. Obedience might not be popular, but it's the only way to blessing. It's the only way to blessing. Obedience might not be hip, but it's the only way to please God. Paul's obedience may have led him into two years under house arrest in Rome. And before that, three years in Caesarea prison. And you would say, what a waste of time. Look, what did obedience get Paul? He got him into prison. At least if he kind of compromised a little bit and winked at this and winked at that a little bit, he would have been out there preaching the gospel. He would have had another fourth missionary journey. (laughs) No, brothers and sisters, listen to me. That is not true at all. That's falsehood. Because in the prison in Caesarea, he was able to preach to the kings and the governors and the authority of the land. And in the underhouse arrest in Rome, he wrote some of the most joyful, the most peaceful, the most exciting epistles of all the epistles that he was led of the Holy Spirit to write. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and certainly 2 Timothy, all written when he was under house arrest. Let me tell you something. When you are obedient, you're going to see God in control of your, all of your circumstances. You see, you're going to see, you're going to discover that there's no time that's wasted. You're going to find that no effort that has been misplaced. That there is no sacrifice that has not been unnoticed by God. No obedience that will not be blessed by God. When you're obedient, even your prison 
will be turned into a pulpit. (laughs) Because that's what happened with the Apostle Paul. From historical accounts and certainly some of the pastoral epistles, we know what the book of Acts does not tell us about Paul's end. We know that he's been released after those two years, and he traveled for two more years, possibly gone to Spain, as he always wanted to do. And then in, came back to Rome in A.D. 64, when Nero set fire to Rome, and then accused the Christians, falsely accusing them. Eusebius, the historian, tells us that Paul was arrested during that time. He was beheaded on the Appian Way. But you see, from God's perspective, the details of Paul's death was not important. Not that God didn't care. Listen to what Psalm 116 verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. How did Paul die? It's not really important What is important is that he finished well. He finished well. How he died is not really important. What is important is that he was able to say, literally a few days before he faced Jesus face to face, he was able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, henceforth. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which is the Lord of the righteous judge will award me on that day. I want you to listen to the rest of that verse from 2 Timothy. He said, not just only for me, but for all of you who love his appearing. The crown of righteousness henceforth is awaiting for you when you finish well. And so, if there's one thing that the book of Acts remind me again and again of. And the question that leaves me with this, and leaves you with it, is how will you finish well? Will I finish well? Will you finish well? Will I understand, will you understand, the secret of finishing well? To be that obstacles will not hinder the plan of God. That objections and objectors will not halt the work of God, and that obedience will harvest the blessing of God. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.